0: Good morning. Uh, my name is Cindy Bohr. I serve on the worship team at FBC. Today we'll be reading from the scriptures. Uh, please join with me. Um, you can stand if you would like. John 17:6 through 19. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. You, yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word now they know that everything that you have given me is from you for I have given them the words that you gave me and they have given them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and that they believe that you sent me I am praying for them I'm not praying for those for the world but for those whom you have given me for they are yours all mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth.
1: Thanks, you may be seated. Gonna invite up this morning our distinguished panel. We normally just have a regular panel. This morning we have a distinguished one. So we have Kylie Joe Flenner, uh, Director of Children's Ministry. All the kids own kids are excited. Yay, Kylie, Miss Kylie Joe's up front. I told them they couldn't get away from me. Yeah. And then uh, Pastor Jeff, associate pastor here at FPC. Wave so they know which one you are. It's not gonna wave. Okay. I didn't say it. And Pastor Seth, he's director uh Pastor of Worship Ministries here at FBC. Have a seat. So this morning we're going to be talking about uh, in the world on mission. We have a couple of passages we're going to look at uh, this morning as well. As our panel is uh, discussing, I want you to be aware that you can interact with what's going on in the panel. You can send questions or comments. And the phone number is on the screen, uh, whether you're at home, uh, it's on your screen, or here in the worship center, it's five four one six three zero three zero two nine, and that will stay up there during the... Uh, discussion here on these scripture passages so if you have a comment or question feel free to text that comment or question to that phone number Pastor Todd is somewhere in the room uh, there he is waving his hand in the back and he is curating those questions which means he only sends me the ones he feels are worth uh, reading so if I don't read your question be sure to stop Pastor Todd after church and let him know what you <laughs> let him know what you think so the reason we're having this discussion, is October 31st, and as we do each year on this day, we have a harvest festival. So this evening in our gym and in our parking lot, we're having a harvest festival in which hundreds and hundreds of families will join us here at the facility getting lots and lots of candy. And so the question sort of comes up, well, why do we do that? Well, why do we do that? Obviously, everything we do ought to be considered, especially in light of Scripture. And we thought this was a great opportunity to think about what it means as individuals and as a church uh, to be on mission uh, in the world. And so I have three passages in each one of our distinguished panelists. We'll take a few minutes to discuss uh, what the word has there, and then we're going to interact with it. And then if you have any questions you can, or comments, you can text us. On that. So Cindy just read from John 17. And so, Seth, why don't you share with us some of what we discover in John 17 about what it means to be in the world
2: on mission? yes yeah, so I uh, <clears throat> focus primarily on 14 through 19, a little bit of a smaller section. And um, one of the things that you see in this passage that's really interesting is the number of times that Jesus compares his disciples to himself. And there's this repetition that happens throughout this, uh, these five verses. And if you know anything about Jewish scripture, you know repetition means this is important, and it's highlighting something. Um, and so you have three different times that Jesus says, because this is a prayer that Jesus is praying to God the Father. Um, three different times he's praying that his disciples will be just like he is, uh, in two specific ways. One is in citizenship or identity, and then the second is in mission. Um, he says in verse 14, the world's hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then again in uh, verse 18, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So we get these three juxtapositions of as Jesus has just done, and as he is doing on this earth in this passage, so shall all of his followers and his disciples be following in his footsteps. And, um, that's really significant to me because there's this set apartness that comes from that, but it's not a set apartness as in my identity is something higher. One thing we were discussing is that set apart does not mean set above. Just because we're set apart for a mission doesn't mean we're now more important, or we have some other level of status um, than everyone else. In fact, as we learn throughout the gospel, that generally means we are the first to dive to the bottom of the pile, and we get the the tasks that nobody else wants to do. Um, set apart for the dirty work, shall we say, <laughs> as opposed to set apart for holding some sort of holiness or righteousness over people's heads that other people should attain to i think we see that sometimes when we think oh we're to be a city on a hill we're to be the salt of the earth we're supposed to be the only good thing here well no it's that's not what it's saying we're not supposed to be something to aspire to yes paul says imitate me as i imitate christ but what does it mean to imitate christ dive to the lowest wash the feet of the disciples when nobody else would um, sacrifice yourself lay down your life for your brother for the world that's Imitate me as I imitate Christ um, Not some status symbol and then two other things that are really interesting that he prays in here He asks God two specific things one to keep them from the evil one He says I do not ask that you take them out of the world So why do we not just get whoop, right up into heaven as soon as we get saved that'd be a whole lot easier Jesus says no don't take them out of the world. They have been saved now. They're finally useful to do something to accomplish a mission on this earth so keep them from the evil one while they are here and then the second one is is sanctify them declare them holy purify them as Jesus is pure and holy so we're becoming more like Christ both in our identity as we ourselves are pure and holy and set apart for something but also more like Christ in the fact that we are answering to a specific order we have a specific mission that is we're always on the clock for in some sense and and so we need to be kept from the evil one because the evil one is going to try to tell us that we have weekends and we have days off from being somebody who's like Jesus and we have, you know, times that we can rest from being godlike and we can be a little bit worldly and indulge in a little bit and then pick up Jesus on Sunday morning again and that's just not the reality um, of this passage. Um, I have some more to say but if you want to start, you know, interacting.
1: Keep going. I'm kidding. I keep going. What are some of the things to make because we're seeing that he's not taking us out of the world And in fact like you say our identity is connected with Jesus there He's saying just like I'm sent you're sent So if you want to be like Jesus be sent in a sense there So what are some of the things that Christians are? Ought to do. I mean if we're sent what are those what are those things this is for any of us here? What are some of those things coming out of this sentness? That, that we're called to do.
3: I think first of all is just recognizing that you are sent. I think sometimes we get really caught up with our own shame and guilt and poor me, why me, what about me, but it's just, it's it comes to life when you recognize, wow, I've been saved for this, that I can even be part of what God is doing, part of his mission.
4: Um, I, I agree with that and think that part of um, some of that sentness is realizing that um, our life isn't just for our weekends, right? We're not living for the weekends. But in our weekends, we can be sent. So it, um, we tend to want to put things in boxes in our life. Uh, I have my work life, I have my church life, I have my friend life, I have my you know, uh, spouse life. But Christ intended to be a part of all of those things. And so for me, it's how can I be sent? How can I be Christ-like? whilst I'm doing all of these things.
2: I also love just the fact that this whole thing, it's, it's funny because I, when I grabbed this passage, I started kind of diving into it and dissecting it and making little notes here and looking for patterns. And then I stopped for a minute and I looked back and I was like, whoa, this is God the Son praying to God the Father. Uh-huh. Like, do you think this prayer is gonna get answered? Oh yeah, you better believe this prayer is gonna get answered. Is Jesus the Son of God praying to God the Father that he would be faithful to carry us through and do all of these things that he asks? So another thing we can do is just simply have faith that God's actually going to be faithful to this
1: Yeah, and it and it's a perilous mission in some ways because He says I um, I pray that you would keep them from the evil one and in some ways uh, you go. Well, why would you say that what Keep me from the evil one? Is that an option that I wouldn't be? So we discover immediately that the mission here being sent is not into friendly territory from a spiritual standpoint, that there is an opposition uh, spiritually. We learned that in Ephesians chapter 6. We do not uh, battle against flesh and blood, but the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So that prayer should illuminate us that being on mission is not on vacation, although maybe we're on mission, on vacation, as you're talking about, Kylie Jo, but it's the enemy as opposed to it. And we shouldn't be surprised uh, when we experience that. Were you gonna say
2: something? Um, <clears throat> yeah, and I, in that too, I, it can be tempting, I think, to think of that a little bit too, um, put a little bit too much weight on our ability to successfully carry out the mission. Like, we're on mission, and I better come back with a positive report. You know, I better have more saved people than people I got mad at, or something. Um, but you see in verse 19, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also might be sanctified in the truth. Twice you have Jesus saying, I have given them your word, and your word has sanctified them, and your word has made them holy. Um, and there's this humility that comes from remembering that it's the word of God, it's the Holy Spirit working in us that prepares us for this mission. Um, I think for those who are maybe not as gung ho about evangelism or more on the introverted spectrum like I am, the hope in here is that we don't have to clean up our act to be effective on mission. We're not, God is doing the sanctifying work and we're on mission from the moment that we repent and believe. There's no uh, training camp per se that we have to go through in order for us to be, okay, now you're a lieutenant, now you're a captain, now you're a commander, now you're special ops. Like, we, we like to, you know, categorize people that way sometimes, oh, the foreign missionaries, they're the special ops at the Green Berets. No, they just, God happened to call them across the ocean instead of, you know, the neighborhood where you are. And I've heard sometimes going across the ocean is easier than reaching your neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> I've experienced that firsthand. Um, but I would argue that those who think they have their act together, are the generally the least missional and the most judgmental, the least effective at actually being on mission when they think I'm the light of the world, I'm the salt of the earth, I've got it together and everyone needs to follow my example and and then they end up at being people we don't want to associate with and and the reason people are mad at Christians and hate Christians is because you've got people like Westboro Baptist, you know, picketing funerals of soldiers and crazy things like that under the name of God because they've got it right somehow. They're the beacon or the lighthouse. And that's just not that's just not the reality of what makes an effective disciple and an effective person to reach the world.
3: Yeah. And I agree with that 100% because um, just even asking everybody here, there's probably a time where somebody's come up to you and said, there's something different about you. I don't know what it is, but there's just... There's something different about you, and you're sitting there going, "No, it just can't be." You know, you don't know my life. You know, there's no way. And I had that one time in high school where this uh, guy came up to me while I was working, and he goes, "There's different. I've been coming in here on every Monday night. There's something different about you." And I finally gave in. I was like, "Okay, well, you know, I am a Christian." And he's like, "I knew it. I knew it. I was in high school. I have no idea. I mean, I was probably foul. You know, I mean, I don't know. I was high schooler. You know, so it's, it's different."
1: One of the, over in Romans chapter 12, Romans twelve one and 2, we read this, we've studied it earlier uh, in the past, in in Romans, um, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern. What is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? So the question then becomes, how do we understand Jesus' mission to us, which is be sent into the world? On the other hand, the Bible is also quite clear. Don't be conformed to this world. So how, how do we do that? What's the, the reality of our experience as believers, where on the one hand, he's saying, go into the world, and you're going to have to go in to the world. How do we do that while at the same time honoring what the scripture is calling us to do, which is don't be conformed to the world?
4: I think um, that that passage, the be transformed. Um, Sometimes that transformed is different than what we assume you had mentioned earlier, the set above, you know, the transformed to be set above rather than set apart. And if we're being transformed as Christ and we look at him as the example, then we see Christ was definitely in the world. I think of the women at the well. I think of letting the children come. I think of all of the different opportunities that Christ had to be a part of the world that he was in, and to speak, um, you know, give to Caesar what is Caesar, you know, to speak the truth, um, and that's what's being transformed by the Spirit and living in the world. So if I look at that, I think um, it's changing my perspective of set apart and not set above. Um, and living in the world in such a way that we can um, share that transformation with others. I don't
2: know. And I think you can, this is a terrible analogy because I just came up with it, but if you take an ice cube and drop it into a glass, it's still shaped like an ice cube. If you melt that ice cube down, it conforms to the shape of the glass. So you can be in something and not be the same shape yeah. as that thing. And I think that's, I think we get a little bit too concerned sometimes that, because we are being influenced by the world around us that we're going to get stained we're going to get dirty we're going to and and that is i mean that's why he says keep them from the evil one because there is going to be that attempt but we were having a conversation and preparing for this like so where do you draw the line do you do you wait outside the strip club for the stripper to come out and then you and then you witness to them or like how do i stay unstained and how, how do i Where do we draw those lines? And a lot of it is a gray area, and I think that's why it's so important and so powerful that twice in in the passage I'm studying, Jesus says, I've given them your word. I've given them the word of God, and you need to keep them from the evil one, and you need to be sanctifying them, God, in in your truth. Because the, the bottom line is, we are going to come back from battle. With some stain we are, I mean no soldier ever goes into battle who's worth his salt anyway and comes back without at least dust on his boots Let alone maybe his buddy's blood and who who knows what else and, and that's just that's the reality of war And I think we can get so concerned about keeping our shoes clean or keeping ourselves clean Thinking too much about that set apart as set above unaffected by what's going on I mean, I don't I don't know how you expect to be a good friend to anybody who's not a believer If you're not or even just a friend at all if you're not able to just sit in the grief with them and Let that affect you and you know be moved to be with people where people are at We probably will stumble some of us will and I think God's a little more okay with that than we are as we think about how we reach the world that being said let's not just absolutely melt to every wind of doctrine and believe everything out there and you know go on a suicide mission so to speak. Um, That's good
3: and then I was just thinking through uh, through both of these connection at the beginning of that passage is uh, this is our spiritual act of worship and I was just thinking about the worship component and uh, we, we are naturally worshipers. We're either worshiping in the flesh or worshiping God's glory and who God is and, and the work of Jesus Christ in our life. And, and so it's a, that tension of glory. And, uh, there's things in this world that we want to naturally connect to because it's just, it's glorious. Um, when's the last time you've been in Costco? You know, everything you go in there is just glory. Everything's huge and bigger and better. And there's fact, there's times where I just want to go down an island and go see what I don't have. I might need that. And, uh, so it's that, tension of, of glory you know what, what glory is greater is God's glory greater in those messy moments of knowing where to be on mission and uh, that, that's where I, I battle that's where I struggle in that that glory thing where's the glory of God's deposits in my life that is so great that um, I'm satisfied
1: they didn't have pickles I was in there yesterday and so I'm out of dill pickles just so you know um, they didn't have the pickles I like so, so much for your glory of Costco.
4: <laughs>
1: that's terrible. I'm sorry, Jeff. I didn't mean to pick on you. No, I did mean to pick on you. So uh, John 17, this is the place where oftentimes we quote, in in some way sort of misapply or misquote the verse, be in the world but not of it. And we end up creating a a moral that's opposite of what he was saying. Yeah. So he was saying, actually, be in the world. And what we end up doing is saying, don't be in the world. and the tension is, Romans 12 says, don't be conformed to the world. Jesus did not say when he left, huddle up. He said, go. And what Christians tend to do, and one of the ways we can evaluate this, is every single person, a meaningful relationship in my life, a believer. And the question is, what happened where I created a context in my life where I have no meaningful friendships with people who need Jesus? So one question on this before we move to Kylie Joe's passage, somebody texted in, "Well, what does that look like at work, uh, on vacation, uh, and on the golf course, uh, at the movie theater? What does it look like to be in the world but not of it? How do we live the gospel in these contexts? And maybe one or two examples at most, because we got to get to the next section. But any ideas? Are you getting ready to go?"
4: Well, I just I have a simple one. Mm-hmm. I, I think. Um... That, that I've experienced probably more than once. Um, oftentimes when you are in a, in a workplace, when I was you know not full-time at the church, when you're in a workplace with non-believers, um, there's an assumption that you're going to to be this set above instead of the set up part, right? Um, so my heart has always been to to love others and to, to try to be real. Um, and so that sometimes lends itself to being part of the world is recognizing when I make a mistake or a sin, um, that I just own it, even though it's gonna sound weird to them. Um, So the example being, you find yourself talking about the other coworker, and it may be not appropriate, and you realize you've said something a little bit bit gossipy, right?
0: Yeah, or Um, a
4: lot of it. it, Right, Jeff, and you know, when we're talking. So, so but the reality is, um, for the non-believing, coworkers, they go, oh, well, she's a hypocrite, just like every other Christian I know. But I find myself using that as a learning opportunity. I stop and I say, you know, hey, I I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. And they all, what? What? You didn't say anything wrong. Well, I I know I might not have said anything inappropriate, but what I said wasn't edifying. It wasn't nice to that person. And I'm going to work better on not doing that. By admitting that, suddenly that changes a perspective. I'm admitting I'm in the world, and I sometimes will complain about people here or there. But the reality is, I have a Christ who saved me through that. And I can admit it, because I have a Savior who did the work for me. It's not me trying to be perfect, because I'm going to be a hypocrite. But he isn't. so.
1: So if, as Christians, we have confidence in the gospel, we hope one of the disciplines we have is to be fast repenters. We sin. And we want to learn by God's grace to repent and own it quickly. One of the things you're, I think is a fantastic example of what we're saying is in the workplace, our testimony for Jesus might be that we don't do certain things, but actually we're also a fantastic testimony when at work we're fast repenters. Yeah. When I've done something wrong, when I've blown it, since I have the gospel, I can much quick, more quickly go to my boss, go to my coworker and say, that was wrong. And... I would hope that I can mend fences with you, I hope I can make it up, uh, but I need to ask your forgiveness, and I hope not to do that again in the future. So that Many of us as Christians think, well, if I blow it at work and admit it, then the name of Jesus is going to be uh, marred. Actually no. To own it and trust in God's grace and have confidence in the gospel, uh, I think bring, brings great glory uh, to the Lord. Uh, Seth, you get the last word on this.
2: Yeah, um, <clears throat> one other thing is just being genuinely interested in people yeah. and caring about the people. Um, one of the best, I mean, one of the greatest examples we see of Jesus over and over throughout his interaction with people is he he gets you know when when the man is blind he gets down on his knees gets down on his level and he talks to him and he says what do you want and he he just invests in people and he. And He's so interested in what they're interested in and he cares for them on a level. That's not just how can you Help me or how can I gain from this relationship somehow, but how can I pour into you? Um, And and that's an attitude adjustment because you know it there can be a tendency especially with a verse like this to have um, I've seen the bumper sticker before and it's pretentious and terrible and if you have it on your car I will help you scrape it off. It's uh, it's uh, (laughs) in case of rapture this car will be unmanned it's, you're basically just telling everyone around you, you're all not saved and I'm going somewhere that you're not gonna go. That's, that's horrible, that is not caring. You know, I, I, it should say, in case of rapture, hop in, he might take the whole car. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, we should be for people, to save people, to care for people and what they're caring for, um, genuinely loving them as Christ got on their level, looked in their eyes and genuinely cared for the people, the person, the heart.
1: That's good. Um, uh, one author put it this way: Have friendships with nonbelievers that is not based on whether or not they get saved. Yep. That you know, it's okay to continue. Be- I shared the gospel with them. They said, "No, okay, moving on." That's a little utilitarian. That's uh, and that's not terribly human. It's you know, continue to pray for them and and have a friendship because they're people. And that's uh, one of the things Jesus said. Two comments that came in via text, and uh, then Kylie Joe, you're going to uh, take over. Uh, One one comment just really is great, one thing we need to recognize is that believers, we're saved sinners, we're not home yet. And we're not better than, kind of references what I've said, we're not better than or above others, we're just sick people who found the cure. And I think that's a really good perspective to recognize, we're just offering hope that we found, and if we hadn't found it by God's grace, we'd uh, we'd still be in a world of hurt. Uh, Someone also references this great point, says, Sanctification is a result of the truth of God's word. So in the sentness, the importance of scripture remains central. And I think that's a really good uh, point. John 17, 17, scripture has to be a central part of the believer as we're sent. And we see that in Jesus' life. Everywhere he went, scripture uh, was in place. So Kylie Jo, let's move on to the next one. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 21. I'm going to read it if Uh, you want to follow along in your copy of scripture, you're welcome to. It says this, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we were once regarded uh, Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Kylie Joe, why don't you share with us from this passage?
4: Yeah, when I um, looked at this passage, um, several things stood out to me. And um, it's kind of this idea of the perspective change. We talked a little bit about the set apart and the set above and how we're to be set apart. Um, And the first thing that he addresses is um, that we're a new new creation. So then it kind of got me thinking, what's the world or flesh view? And oftentimes when I would think of the world or flesh view, when I think of my old self, I think only of the sin, the evil, the yucky stuff that happens, which is true, right? However, if you look at the world's perspective, the flesh view, Um, all you have to do is look at children. I I happen to work with them. Um, Even before they are old enough to talk, they've already figured out how to sin and they've already figured out how to order their life so that they can get what they need. Um, Or if you look at the animal kingdom, right? There is an order. And we as people, our old view is looking at that order and where do I fall in the quote unquote pecking order? Am I top dog, middle management, lowly totem pole? So when I, when I thought about that, and then I looked at we are new creations, that means my perspective has got to change. So not only um, is that the most important thing, being saved by um, Christ through the reconciliation, right? But it's also changing that perspective of how we look at the world. It's integrally changing how we look at the world and looking it through Jesus' eyes. He didn't look at the world and order people. Here's the lowly person. Here's the high person. Here's the Pharisees. I better go be best friends with the Pharisees. He didn't. He saw people as a whole that needed to be saved. Um, in kid zone, since my kid zone kids are in here, we talk a lot about um, Romans 5:8. While we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I was no better than anybody else. I was still a sinner when he died for me. And that really helped change my perspective of whether I was set apart or set above. Um, And so when I take that lens and then move on through um, to the, you know, what I see the main part of this passage is, it's what do we do? What is our job? We are ambassadors for Christ. Um, And oftentimes when I were to think about ministering to others or being in the world sharing the gospel with others. that meant that I needed to make sure everybody knew they sinned, they were wrong, and they need to come to Jesus. But he says here that he's not counting their trespasses against them. I think the reality is when I'm sharing with somebody, most people, friends that I've shared the gospel with, they know they've sinned, and they know that they're missing something in their life. right? And so why do I think I have to focus on that? And that, why is that the big deal? It's not. Our job is to share the reconciliation. And that just means that we share the way of how Jesus made it so we can spend eternity with God forever. And it really encapsulates what my kids' own kids hear every single week. It's that we believe that Jesus died on the cross, he lived a sinless life, and that he rose again the third day. right? And so what then I ask them is, well, why did he do that? Well, the kids would be able to tell you why, why? So we could go to heaven. Well, why would he do that? Well, he did that because he loves us, right? And he wants to spend eternity to us. That is the ministry of reconciliation, is that Jesus came and he didn't see a pecking order. He saw people while they were yet sinners and he loved them and that's our perspective. And suddenly my job is a lot easier as I'm in the world. No longer is it, um, do I go to Starbucks or not go to Starbucks or Dutch Bros or not go to Dutch Bros because of this, that or the other thing. It's now, how can I tell people about what Christ have done in my life? How can I do that at a level that they know that I care and love about them, despite what their answers are? Um, and I um, I just encourage you to to think in, in that way. Um, Quick story, Um, prior to moving back to Medford, I was up north and I always had what I called my money job and my church job. I worked at a Starbucks and I um, also worked for a church. And um, it was often an interesting conversation because I was a manager at Starbucks and they couldn't figure out what I would do or why I would choose to do what I did, right? Um, And people often, discounted the the work job the money job but I will tell you through intention through prayer first of all right and through the reconciliation in Christ and showing that I I saw just as much fruit if not more fruit, from being faithful and loving others through that job and um, it wasn't always easy right because as in the workplace when you're the Christian and oftentimes I was the only Christian and um, and sometimes pointed out, there was plenty of opportunity to just choose love and choose the positive. When people wanted to focus on the hypocrisy or on the this, nope, you can pray for them, you can love them. And so I just see this as an encouragement and and kind of a release that I don't need to know everything that the Bible holds, because I have the Bible, I can look at it. And two, I know the ministry of reconciliation. And that is through Jesus Christ. It is nothing I can do. So I don't need to know how many people um, I've led to the Lord. I don't need to know how many kids that came to BBS made the decision for the first time, because my heart is a reconciliation of the gospel. The numbers will come and go, but the gospel will will stay.
1: Somebody texted in uh, this question, and this relates to Part of the point you're making is why are most Christians so judgmental? And I really am offended by that question because it's not most. It's almost all of them.
4: <laughs> it's, it's,
1: it's really the, the whole kit and caboodle. And really what it comes down to, this concept, when we're sharing the gospel, we have to address the brokenness, the sin, like we're talking about. But the judgmentalism comes when I need, Jeff, I need you to come to Jesus so you'll finally agree with me on this point. What's annoying is how Jeff's brokenness bothers me. That's not reconciliation, because what the problem is is Jeff's brokenness offends God. And the judgmentalism is when I need Jeff or whoever to get saved so my life is easier. I need my coworker to get saved so he's not such a a meanie. And I need my uh, children to get saved so they'll be more obedient. And uh, okay, see how that works. Um, And that's where we come across. You know, it's judgmental because certainly we're not saying there isn't a place to say no sin is what is separating right. the relationship with God But that's the other thing we tend to do is, is say well God forgive me for my sin And he'll also forgive you for yours, which obviously is is much worse than than I would ever do Which uh, number one is theologically inaccurate and secondly, it's it's not
2: it's appropriate. It's out of line it, it, it is offensive. Seth, what were you going to share? Yeah, either that or or I've also encountered probably even felt myself sometimes where the the, the saved person can basically just be like a notch in your rifle, like, got another one into the, right. into the kingdom, you know, and, and, and you're just like marking your holiness based on your effectiveness yeah. in saving people. And, and if someone doesn't respond to the gospel, well, now you've messed with my earning salvation or holiness or wh- whatever is actually going on under there.
1: Yeah, it's not your sales pitch because the Gospel of John makes it quite clear it's the Holy Spirit that convicts people of their sin not us. We don't have a pitch that's going to lead people to salvation. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts of sin. We're our reconciliators and good news sharers. Yeah, what were you going to say?
4: That's just what I was going to say that you know our job is really to share that good news and to share that hope and and like you were saying just to reinforce. We all need we need to recognize sin but as Christ always did, he recognized and gave hope for, you know, he first often, while we were yet sinners, he gave us hope. And I think um, that is the thing that can get lost when we are trying to gauge our holiness based on what we do. And what that's doing is trying to bring that old self back and forgetting the perspective of the new creation. Mm -hmm. That wouldn't, that's not a way Christ would interact. Um.
1: What, this is a question uh, that pops into my head, and I don't know if it You guys have thought about it a little bit. I feel like there might be more efficient ways for Jesus to get his job done versus letting us take the job of reconciliation. (laughs) So my question is, why do you think he did that? Now, so you can tell we didn't prep this question. Wait, what? So why did why did Jesus make us ministers of reconciliation when there probably are more efficient means? Probably there are.
3: There is definitely, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Probably the only way to answer that is just take a moment in your own history, in your transformation, reconciliation work that Jesus Christ is doing in your life. And it's not as simply, uh, it's um, lifelong and and hard at times, but it's um, so that we recognize fully in its full content of, um, of God's grace and his steadfastness for us. Then we can pass that on to others. So it's that phrase, grace upon grace. It's, it's recognizing what the work has done for us. But, but there's still a better way Jesus. But in that moment, you start recognizing, oh my goodness, what he's done for me, I can do the same for others. I can pass that on as well. I can reflect the glory of God. Not the glory of Jeff, but the glory of God.
4: Um. You saying that makes me uh, think of a book, and I can't think of the name right now. But um, talks about leadership and how when you are a leader, it's better to lead with multiples because it's harder to, to give yourself the glory. Easier to keep it on God. And I and I just wonder. And again, God obviously had lots of better ways, but. This intentional, this community that he's always encouraged, and um, you know, since he created Eve, there's a community, there's a communal aspect to our relationship with each other and with, with, with God. And I, I don't mean that as far as salvation wise, but in, in living life, we are, otherwise, we would all be on our own little islands. Um, there's something in seeing the reconciliation happen in somebody else's life. Um, and not that you're the instrument of that, but to see the Holy Spirit work in such a way, um, can change you. And I think that it's not only for the benefit of the person maybe who's sharing, but for those around who can say, I I've seen that person's life change and they wouldn't change <laughs> without something major in their life. And then, and that then in turn can encourage the community mm-hmm. as a whole.
2: Yeah, the relationship aspect, I think, is really important because you see what is the first thing in the creation account that God says is not good. It's when he creates Adam and he's alone. And so he adds Eve and then he gives the command to both of them to be fruitful, multiply, create nations, create communities. And um, if God chose to, you know, because he could have chose to, like you're saying, set apart a people for himself, I will be your God, you will be my people, that thing you see all throughout the Old Testament. He could have done that by just plucking individual people out like he did Elijah. I like that guy, I like that guy. But then I think what you end up having is this heaven ends up looking a bit like what some of us think is we're all on our own individual cloud and we're all just staring at God and nobody's that, you know we're all standing shoulder to shoulder or maybe even our own cloud miles apart and it's just like a, a me and God in this new place where there's a bunch of people having an individual relationship and my assumption is that in heaven we're going to have a lot of houses right next to each other brownstones however, however they're going to be and And we're gonna spend a lot more time interacting with each other in relationship that is now perfect than we are going to be standing shoulder to shoulder, nobody looking at each other because we're all always just looking at God all the time. Like, that doesn't, I want God, but I don't know that I want a heaven like that because we were created to be, that's the imago Dei, the image of God. We are created to be like God and we long for relationship and we long for relationship with creations that are like us. And there is a way that God is so much greater and so much different than us, that we will never be able to relate to him, I think, in the same way as a human being. And that's not a bad thing. That's because he is God. Um, we will certainly relate to him on, on, on the perfect level that we as created beings can when he comes again and we join with him. But I still think that relationship is going to be different than the other people who are there with us.
1: The image of God. Yeah, so if we're made in the image of God and God is sent, jesus then we would anticipate as being made in the image of god we would do that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. so to be in christ is to be sent Mm -hmm. and uh whether or not that's the most efficient way to do it that's the way it's done having been made in the image of god and uh so that's uh that's awesome um someone comments here just a comment which is great so it's not a tough question (laughs) um i'm so glad someone finally mentioned prayer Part of being sent involves stuff that the world would view as inactivity, such as being still and knowing God is God. So there is in sentness uh, a sense of uh, resting in the power of God, uh, um, a fidelity to what God has called us to do. To share the gospel, you do have to use words. Mm-hmm. But on the response end, God is the one who's going to do the work in, in someone's heart.
4: Um, just as... Uh... A little example of that. Um, One of the when I first started in my coffee job, um, I was often the only, um, well, I was most often the only Christian and often the only, um, dare I say, conservative, uh, heterosexual um, individual. And um, I was a young college student, it was really hard because they liked to make it hard. What I started doing is I wrote all their names down on cards and things about their lives that I could pray for. And before I went into work, I'd park in the scary Lloyd Center parking garage um, and um, lock my doors. And I would look at my schedule, who am I working with, pull up those cards, pray for them. It made it a lot easier to um, be okay with the awkwardness. Um, and embrace that awkwardness. And so I, I do value that, that is something to be said, that prayer is, is gonna change your heart. You can't pray for somebody and then go in like you're a used car salesman to convince them of something. By the nature of prayer, you're already investing in intimacy with that person, whether then or not they want it. <laughs> um, you, you're already starting that investment. So.
1: That's great. Um, one thing we should recognize from this passage, and Jeff, you're just about up, uh, in your passage in 1 Corinthians, what we learn here is that God has made us righteous in Christ, and so how, we, how does that affect mission? We don't need to be righteous by separating ourselves into a commune. We can engage with the world with the gospel, and we don't have to worry about being made unclean, because we have the righteousness of Christ, and I think that's one of the things we've seen historically is believers, well, I've been saved now to stay clean. I need to join a church, build a barbed wire fence, and make sure everything in my life is only connected with other believers because I don't want to be tainted. But, but that means my righteousness comes from my, my ability to separate. But my righteousness comes from Jesus, and Jesus is sent. And so as Christians, we can go into the world with the righteousness uh, of Christ. I don't, need to, I don't need to become more righteousness. The world can't change that in me.
2: My favorite example of that is the woman with the issue of blood. She reaches out to touch Jesus. And by Jewish law, she should have made Jesus unclean, which would have been an absolutely terrible thing to make a priest unclean, let alone anybody else. And, um, but Jesus says, hey, power went out from me. And, and she is cleansed. And so and then you see that as well. Like any, and I think the, was it the coal that touches the lips He should make the holy place, Isaiah should make the holy place dirty by him being there, but the touching actually makes the dirty thing clean. So in the economy of the gospel, in the economy of Christ resurrected, clean things touching dirty things makes them clean. Dirty things touching clean things doesn't make the thing dirty. Clean is what transfers, and we need to remember that.
1: All right, Jeffrey, we have 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 19. I'm going to read it. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 27, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all thanks to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. All right, Jeff, you got it. All right. second <laughs>
3: Because of Jesus, because of the gospel, Paul is in this theme that in order to um, be a servant to all, um, that is exactly what has to take place. You have to have Jesus Christ first. Because if you think about his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus... He had that encounter with Jesus, and through that ministry work of Jesus working in his life, uh, you can see where uh, Saul became Paul. Saul was this way at one time, trying to um, uh, persecute the Jews, persecute the work of Jesus Christ, people that belong to the way, and then now he has this encounter with Jesus, and everything's turned around completely. And that completeness leads Paul with urgency to uh, be a servant to all. I know it's a heavy word, servant, but uh, that's where he put it in the text, is that his life is dedicated. Everything is dedicated to this encounter he had with Jesus Christ. It's just beautiful. This, This weightiness of who everything that Jesus is for broken and lost people, Paul got that. And the rest of his life was on course with that to all and it was really specific to all. But how do we know that? Well, why and why to all? And what does Paul mean in regards to this? Well, we can look at the biblical themes throughout. We always see that the kingdom of God is for all. One example of that is Mark chapter 4, 36 through 29. This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seeds on the ground. It doesn't take long for us to look at that text and see the seeds as an imagery of uh, God's word and the gospel good news to all. It wasn't just for the Jews, it was part of the Gentiles as well and for the weak as Paul explains. Then we go back to Jesus Christ again. Jesus Christ is for all. We see that in Philippians chapter 2, 10 through 11. So that the name of uh, at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God forever. The gospel mission Jesus Christ was for all, under the law, of his law. And the gospel mission is based on Jesus humbling himself to death and burial and resurrection for all. Not for a special group, but for all. So you see in verses 23 of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is motivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in this blessing and in on the gospel mission to be like Jesus was to all, but under the law of Christ supports this motivation. So that key emphasis there is all is very global, very global in the sense that the good news goes to all. All has the opportunity and the chance to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in conclusion, is because of Jesus, Jesus made it possible for Christians to be in a world on gospel mission By all means, to save some. And that should give us great confidence. Yes, yes, it's really clear. Even Paul even mentions this many times throughout his epistles. We are vulnerable. I get that. We do mess up. This gospel work is messy. But to try to put certain particular moralistic values around that, that's not helpful either. And so we see that Paul is going for it because of what Jesus Christ has done in his life.
1: Yeah, the pattern we often see in the book of Acts with the Apostle Paul is he would show up in the city and go in the synagogue, he would share there. Uh, oftentimes he would be run out and then he would just step next door. Okay, I'll go to the Gentile uh, meeting room or the marketplace or the Areopagus, and, and I'm gonna share the gospel there. So he's, he's sharing the gospel. The, the key point there, of course, being he's being intentional. I want to share the gospel with all these folks, and I am going to be intentionally trying to understand how my language and how my habits and how my uh, how I approach the conversation can be most readily received. You know, so what language do I need to speak? And and someone said, well, we don't do anything missional uh, here at FBC. We just do church. We do a number of things that are very missional. Our services uh, are in English. Have you noticed? So that means we anticipate most, but not all, but most of the people attending the church might speak English. A couple of other things we have done. The lights are on. But in the United States, most people would anticipate if I'm going to indoors for an event, the lights will be on. Another thing is happening. We have heating and air conditioning in here. On any given Sunday when I'm standing up here, I've got this side fanning themselves, and this side they've got blankets and coats and... <laughs> I get both emails, it was too hot in there and it was too cold. And I said, well, just shut it all off because, and he said, well, how is air conditioning missional? It's how, what do we need to do to have it so people can hear the gospel? And as it turns out, if it's 90 degrees or 40 degrees, that becomes harder. So that's a a decision based on how do we do something to uh, be missional. So Harvest Festival, we say, is there a night of the week when most families in our community can go out? I wonder if we could be a part of that. What if we could be a part of people in their going-outness, and by intention, uh, building relationship and connection, especially in our little neighborhood with the people who live around us. So it's, it's not an effort to do, to do Halloween Christian. That, that's... We don't have to tie a tract to every piece of candy. We don't have to, we can, okay. we can, but you don't, you, it's, it, you know, we're not gonna, we could celebrate Reformation Day. I didn't wear my Luther costume this morning. <laughs> Um, but that's not, the idea is, well, look, our community is going out, but our community goes out lots of other times. It's October. What else does our community do? Run by Fickner Mainwaring at 8 o'clock in the morning on Saturday. What's happening? Soccer. There's about 4 billion people playing soccer. And so our community is out. So someone might say, look, our whole community is coming out. I wonder if there's a way the gospel can interact where our community is. That's all that is. It's just saying, how do I... Connect with where we're at. There, we're you going to see something, Kelly Joe? You look like you're. I have to. It's all nonverbal. <laughs> okay,
4: go ahead. Whoever well, wants to say something. Well, you know, it was exactly you. You already said it, but um, it's the it's it's also looking at the community as as people too. Um, so oftentimes, and I, I love this about this church is we're thinking about people. We we don't just set up um, we set, don't set up the big events and then just give them a track and say goodbye. But the idea, especially of our church body, is that community piece. Come in, get involved, get into a community group, life group, um, Sunday school hour, and uh, live a messy life with, with us. <laughs> that doesn't sound appealing, but when Christ is doing his work there, um, that, that also is, I think, missional. When we're saying, no, come on, let's live life together, We know it's not going to always be pretty, um, and it doesn't have to. You don't have to come here ready to go. You know, there's that adage, you go to church and you're fighting all the way um, from home, sometimes before home, you get here and you put your smile on your face. You know, like, we don't have to live our Christianity that way. We can be real, and I appreciate that missional intention um, as well.
2: One of the tensions in this passage, I'm gonna ask a hard question, because I don't want to answer it. There's no time. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. No, but how do we look at becoming all things as different than conforming? Because when you say become all things, does that mean I become an alcoholic to reach the alcoholics? Right, of course not. Clearly no. Right. So how do we look at becoming all things versus conforming?
1: Right, and that's clear. I mean, obviously, it's not what he's saying. He's not saying engage with sin to reach sinners. He wants us to understand where people are at. What are the the connections we can make with people? the the weak, the outsider. Uh, But but by the same token, Jesus says, uh, have money so that you can have friends. And so you're looking at what are the connections I have with the people in my life. And if I'm a business person and I have connections in spheres of influence, then I should utilize those connections of influence, not merely for profit or gain. But in order for the gospel to have a foothold in that particular place where I find myself. Somebody uh, made a comment or a question and said, how do we balance having connections with the non-believing community and those in the community? And of course, the first question then I might have is say, why does there have to be a separation? How do we have believing friends and non-believing friends? I might say, why do those people not know each other? If I'm going to have a believing friend and a non-believing friend and I'm going to have an event, I'm not going to think, well, is this my, my Christian crew? No, it's just my people. And some of those people might believe, well, they, people might feel awkward. Okay, I don't, know to, I don't know what to do with that. I always feel awkward, so I don't know what, what's <laughs> different about that. So uh, I think that's really helpful. We're, our, we're looking for relational connection. We're not looking for to share in the sin,
2: uh, obviously, yeah. Yeah, and we also see, um, I think it's very important to make sure that it's also not managing perception versus what are we actually doing? Cause you had all kinds of people calling Jesus a drunkard, wondering what Jesus was doing behind the door that the prostitute was also in. Why was he with the tax collector? Like over and over and over the Pharisees are basically calling him what he's hanging out with and he just doesn't care. Yeah. And I think we need to be a little bit less concerned about what the image is versus what's actually going on right. in the midst of that relationship. And okay. I think if we feel that, if we feel that tension, we're probably in the right spot.
1: OK, let me close with uh, two more I don't want to leave anybody out, because uh, the folks have been participating uh, via text, at least two of you, I think. Um, <laughs> which one? Someone said, how does the average believer particip- participate in the evangelistic mission of a local church? Good question. Here's the thing. So I'm going to just answer. Is that OK? Don't care. Going to do it anyway. Um, where do you share the gospel? Where's the first place you should share the gospel? To yourself. Have you ever done anything bad, and you've had to tell you, no, it's okay. Jesus still loves me. So that's you sharing the gospel with you. That's a critical element of sharing the gospel that you need to be doing on a daily basis, is sharing the gospel with yourself. I need Jesus again today, and he still loves me. And then now what do I tell the people in my home and workplace? The same thing I'm telling myself. So first of all, one of the reasons the gospel is hard to share is because we're never telling ourselves the gospel. But after a while, you get used to it, and you say to yourself, you know, thank goodness Jesus still loves me and forgives me. And now it comes out naturally to your, to your kids or your spouse or your, those in your, your home or your apartment. Jesus loves you. He offers his grace to you. And, and that's a way of sharing the gospel. So the, the place of the evangelistic ministry of the church is the individual sharing the gospel to themselves, in their homes, and in their communities, and not as an event, but as that's who I am. I need Jesus uh, again uh, today. Specifically related to this passage, someone says, what is the the role of the church in understanding uh, racism as it relates to the gospel? And we have to understand the Apostle Paul in this passage is basically saying racism is anti-gospel, and I might suggest we could also say racism is demonic. It's an effort to say You don't need the gospel because you as your uh, racial background, your ethnicity does not need the gospel. Or you need the gospel from me in my race to help you be elevated to be more like me in my race. So racism, unfortunately, is in the church. Why? Because people are in the church. But it is anti-gospel. It is not just sort of inconvenient to the gospel. It's not just sort of a it is anti-gospel, and we need, we need to understand that. In order to understand the full orb of the gospel, we must recognize we all need Jesus. And we need to recognize uh, that any view of others which denigrates them because of their background is demonic and not gospel. Uh, so that's, that's uh, patently uh, obvious from uh, the scripture. Uh, let me see. One thing we must understand from 1 Corinthians 9 is that we can't be passive. We have to think about We have to think about How do we share the gospel? So some people say, why do we do Harvest Festival? Because people many, many years ago sat down and said, how could we share the gospel with our community? You know, they're running around on, on October 31st. What if we opened our doors? Let's give that a shot. Let's, let's see that. You know, and somebody said, well, it's not working very good. We don't get the numbers from it. And I love what D.L. Moody said when a woman came up and complained about his gospel message. I've shared this before. And he said, well, how do you do it? And she goes, oh, I don't do it. And he said, well, I like the way I do it better than the way you don't. <laughs> so he said, well, I don't think the harvest festival is very effective. Then what's your idea? Then what are you doing? Then what's your, then what's your, what's your deal? That's, we want to be intentional, and we should do this uh, in, our, in our lives. All right, any last comments from the, from
3: the crew? Yeah, I'll just say to, uh, to finalize the end goal tonight in regards to Harvest Festival and to the church at FBC here, thank you so much for those who are going to be here tonight to volunteer the candy that came in. Part of the gospel is simply that, hospitality. Why? Because of Jesus Christ's great hospitality. Why? Because of his great generosity to his death on the cross. How generous are you as well? So thank you.
1: All right, let's stand up. and we going to close in prayer. Hey, thanks, kids. We want to thank the kids, especially. I want to give the kids' own kids a round of applause. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the kindness that you have shown us by dying on the cross while we were still sinners. God, we would all agree many of us are experiencing conviction right now about whether or not we have shared the gospel effectively in our lives where we should have. God, would you move us from conviction to encouragement to know you're going to use each and every one of us according to your will. Give us that desire, that passion, that intentionality to share the gospel here and in our uh, homes, in our communities, in our places of work. Uh, All for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless. See you next week.